Welcome to the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast, brought to you by Squarespace. It's Friday, November the 2nd, and this is episode 353. After a five-week hiatus, I'm finally back on the air, for one or two podcasts anyway. As you know, I've been traveling with my Pixels to Pigment tour, and although I was able to push out a couple of episodes while on the road, things were really hectic, and my mic quality was a little bit too poor to do much more than I did. I am back today though, and I'm really proud and happy to welcome on board a new sponsor, Squarespace. Squarespace have developed and introduced a new content management system, making it faster and easier to create high quality websites, blogs, or online portfolios with professional designs and website templates optimized for any size, smartphone, tablet, or computer. And for a free trial and a 10% discount off any new account, go to squarespace.com MVP and use the offer code MBP11. We'll hear a little bit more about Squarespace later, but for now, I'm, I'm home for just a week before I set off again to travel to Antarctica for six weeks. And then I have another private tour in Japan taking me to the end of the year. Uh, but I thought it was about time to get this episode out. And I will try my hardest to push out one more before I leave. But that really will be that'll really be it for the rest of the year. Please don't delete that subscription though from iTunes or whatever you're subscribing, because I will be back. I promise. And I'll be trying to make up for this light end to 2012 with more than one podcast for a week, for a while at least, next year. I'm still committed to releasing those 50 episodes per year. Nothing has changed there. This morning, I sat down for a very casual chat with David DeChemin for this week's episode. As you know, David is a best-selling author about to release his fifth physical book, The Print and the Process, and he has also just launched an incredible new quarterly e-magazine called Photograph, which is full of features and articles from an amazing lineup of photographers, which I too am honored and humbled to be a part of. To pick up your copy of the first issue of Photograph or to subscribe for the first year, use the link mbp.ac slash cvp1234 craft and vision photograph issues one two three and four for now though let's jump in and listen to our chat with david DeChemin. okay so i'm here this morning or this evening for you david i'm with david DeChemin, the author of almost five books and I know that you're going to kill me for saying that David uh, but we're going to have a quick chat this morning and I'm really looking forward to it so welcome to the show David. Thanks Martin how are you? I'm great thanks uh, and uh, we were just talking briefly uh, before we started recording uh, obviously we the last time we spoke on this podcast I think was when we we did the poorly photographers society uh, about a year and a half ago when we we both had those horrible experiences, so it's great to see you up and about and uh, 
and you know congratulations on getting back to normal ish <laughs> yeah that the ish is important isn't it yeah we were in rough shape when we last talked i'm really glad that uh, that we're able to to talk in a little bit better condition right now but uh it's been an interesting year yeah absolutely so we uh we're obviously we we've got a couple of things lined up we've, and there's a lot of exciting stuff going at the moment so let's let's work through these uh firstly let's talk about photograph you know let you your new e I keep trying to call it an e-book, but it feels more like an e-magazine, although I've not heard that that phrase before. But yeah, tell us about Photograph, how you how you came about the idea and and a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's, um, well, we're calling it Photograph. And then the, I guess if there's a subtitle, it's a digital quarterly magazine for creative photographers. And I came up with the idea, not that magazines are a new concept, but I came up with the idea uh, bouncing around in uh, Mongolia uh, this summer and just kind of thinking about, you know, the e-publishing business and the future of, of how we learn as photographers and how we find our inspiration, I started thinking about magazines. And one of the things that jumped out to me was, gosh, it has been a long time since I actually paid for a magazine. Because mm. uh, with the exception of Lens Work, which is a printed journal that I absolutely adore, mm. um, I, I just refuse to go to the bookstore anymore and pay between 8 to $20 for a magazine about digital photography, which is full of advertisements, mm. which has got all these, um, you know, kind of hyperbole type headlines. I shoot like a pro and F8 and be there and all these platitudes mm. and, and very difficult, I think, to get through all of that noise and find something that's really of value. Um, and so, I, I mean, not that I created photograph as a reaction to that, but I, I identified that immediately as oh, that's, you know what, that's why I'm not getting magazines and it's why uh, I don't pay for them. And it's it kind of served as a bit of a touchstone for me in terms of what I don't want to create. Um, so we just sort of, me and my team started kind of brainstorming this idea. And initially I came back and said, I want to make a magazine. And they said, you're insane. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, because the idea was, of course, well, then it has to be a monthly thing. And don't we already have enough things going on? And, and so when I proposed that we do it quarterly, which, you know, I think we're just saturated. There's so much going on. And we just don't need all of this stuff. I think we're all kind of limited in time. And so we decided rather than do something that was a half measure every month, that we would take our time and every three months put out this big, beautiful journal that included the work of photographers that uh, that other people maybe have not seen um, or even heard of. And so we are disregarding entirely these labels of professional and amateur and just assuming that if you make beautiful photographs, then those photographs deserve to be seen. And so we're kind of curating on a quarterly basis, a collection of three featured portfolios. This uh, inaugural issue, it happens to be Art Wolf and Bruce Percy, who are a little more well-known. Certainly Art is. Bruce Percy should absolutely be more well-known and I think will be. And then Nate Parker, who I think is is relatively unknown and is is just a, you know, quote, just an amateur and yet producing incredible, beautiful work, black and white, long-time exposure, very kind of Michael Kenna-esque uh, stuff, although I prefer not to compare photographers to each other. So that's like the first half of the magazine. And then the last half is regular, regular columns by, you know, by well-known photographers and, and people like myself. And uh, you're doing a, a regular column on the art of the print. And, and it's stuff that's related to 
not just, hey, here's the newest gear, although there's a short column called Gear is Good and it talks about some of the sort of the less sexy but essential kind of bits of gear. Um, it's the other stuff. It's the creativity, the inspiration, the, you know, my uh, column this month or this issue was about the art of editing, not editing, you know, like digital post-processing, mm. but actual, you know, choosing the, uh, choosing the frame of the, you know, the 10 or 20 we may have shot in a sequence. Yeah. How do, how do we edit our stuff and things that, so my column's called Without the Camera and, you know, the next issue I'll, I'm going to be talking about, um, you know, waiting for the moment and the, the power of being patient and persevering. And these, these are things that are totally unsexy. I mean, no one is going to buy an ebook about being patient. Mm. And, and yet I think if photographers spent less time with their B&H catalogs with no disrespect to the people at B&H who I, I know and love, but if we spent less time obsessing over gear and more time waiting for the moment or waiting for the light or being receptive and, and open to what is around us, I think our photography would improve, you know, dramatically. So, um, so anyway, my, that's what my column is about. And, you know, I could probably get on a soapbox and talk about that stuff forever, but, mm. uh, the rest of the magazine is, is full of things like that. And we've got people like John Paul Caponegro, who, you know, is just this brilliant fine art photographer and, and with an ability to teach and express why he does what he does and how he does it. Mm. So he's got a uh, column on creative composition and Chris Orwig's talking about creativity, um, and and then there's Nicole uh, Young has got a an article on uh, called Camera Craft, a column on called Camera Craft, and that's about more the technical side of things. And so it's just, I mean, it's really packed. And and to my delight, when we released it, people have come out of the gate just saying this is really amazing, and they're they're in love with how big and beautiful the photographs are. You know, the nice thing is when you're not printing this, and there's no expense mm. uh, associated with the print job, you can say, hey, let's give this, let's give every image full page or half page. Let's make it big, beautiful. And let it run for 20 pages or 15 or however many pages the portfolio needs to really look great. And so when you pull it up on a big, you know, 23-inch monitor, it looks spectacular. Absolutely. Um, you know, the only downside, of course, is that, you know, I think the file for the magazine is something like 80 megabytes. But, you know, unless you're living way out in the middle of nowhere and, you know, you still have dial-up, that's really not that big a problem. We decided to kind of not compromise in that area. So there will be some people that kind of wish it was smaller. But this is, I think, is a really beautiful magazine. So anyway, that's that's the spiel. That's, that's my elevator pitch on an elevator that has stalled and uh, and you're stuck there for 15 minutes. <laughs> nah, well, it's it's great to hear how passionate you are about it. And I know, I mean, we, we communicate a lot, uh, you know, with email and stuff. And and I know how passionate you are about all of this. And, and it always comes across in your writing, but also in the, the products on, and the projects that you do. So, and, and I think that's that's part of the power behind craft and vision in that, you know, people just see it and they, everything you do seems to be such high quality and beautifully laid out. Uh, and I, I actually, you touched on a couple of things there that I, uh, I'd like to go back to as well. I mean, firstly, the, the fact that it's quarterly, I, I love quarterly or, or at, at the most, you know, the shortest bi-monthly because I don't have time to read a lot of, a lot of stuff anyway. And I, I just like, I think with quarterly, and something like this, I mean, it's it's like 132 pages and I'm going to sit and read through it. I already have, but, you know, you, you'll sit and read through them and then it makes you feel as though you want to, You're you if it comes out a month later, it's like, oh, no, I've got to read that again. But 
you know, for, for three weeks or so again. Obviously, I don't mean that detrimentally. It's like it's more in from the from the past. You're like you're thinking all of the magazines that I read so far. Literally, I, if I get one once a month, I find that I've got a backlog. But with quarterly, you really look forward to it. And then, especially when you when you come, you know, you you look at the people that you've got involved. I mean, me excluded because I'm 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 often still amazed that I'm even part of this amazing team but I well as as am I and I mean by that I mean I'm amazed I am but as I'm the boss I refuse to fire myself <laughs> but you know you, you what what I mean is is you know you you see the lineup here and you look at the the amazing stuff that people are writing and it's just it just sucks you in and so I'm thinking that quarterly is it's going to make you really want by the time that next quarter comes around you're going to be hankering for it. You're going to be sort of thirsty for the for the next issue, and so I I think quarterly works great. And I totally I hope, I hope so. You know, I just I think there's a, an interesting thing there is that you know the way creativity works. I think for most of us, we well we need to kind of you know increase those inputs and and get a lot of kind of raw materials. I think it really works with incubation. It it relies on things sitting for a while and kind of stewing. Mm. And I think if if we are so rushed in our ingestion of materials that we don't take the time to to really just let it sit and incubate, I think we shortcut the creative process. So while we're desperate in an attempt to, quote, find inspiration, we keep ingesting all this stuff. And unless you stop and let it digest, unless right. you stop and let it, you know, gestate, mm. um, you end up, I think, sabotaging the, the very process you're trying to feed. Yeah. And, and of course, the other thing is um, I, I was actually I was over at um, Brooks Institute in Santa Barbara last weekend um, where Chris Orwig teaches, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and I was there for for my Pixels to Pigment workshop. And I had just picked up the the review copy that you sent out to the authors, and I I've got to admit I I flicked through quickly in front of the in front of the group and said this is what's coming out. I'll email you when it when it's out, and um, they as I flicked through a few pages, they were saying where are the advertisements, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, well that's craft and vision. You're never going to buy. Uh, at least so far, and I'm sure that's how you're going to keep it, you're not going mm -hmm. to buy a, a publication from Craft and Vision that is full of advertisements. And I said, and, and I said, watch this. And I went right to the back of the book, and you've got that last page where it's pushing other Craft and Vision stuff. And that's it. And and that's all you'll see from these from these guys. So it's like every, every time I've bought an ebook from you, it's always been the same. You you just you look through it. You you get inspiration. You get all sorts of other you know amazing stuff. You know it feels as though you're obviously you're becoming a better photographer just by looking at the pages without even reading them sometimes because it's so aesthetically pleasing. But then then you you know the content is always top notch, and I feel as though you know if you had all of the advertisements all the way through there, it's kind of like. I guess this is one of the reasons why I'm saying like earlier, my automatic reaction to a monthly magazine is, oh, I've got to read that again, is, is mostly because you, you've got so much junk in there that just it just takes away the pleasure. With your publications, you don't get that. It's just page after page of amazing content. So, uh, And the group were, were very impressed with that. So... Uh, again, no, that's good. To, that's good to hear. Thank you. That's I mean, that's gratifying. I, uh, I I really love the idea of because again, you know, I think we 
I hope as creative people, we make the things that we, that we want not only to make, but to enjoy. And, and I'm just honestly so sick of the advertisements this is mm. the reason I, I got rid of my television years ago. I just, I couldn't stand these, uh, these voices that I didn't invite into my home, um, telling me what I need and how I need to live my life. And frankly, this kind of this vacuous, um, set of values and, and worse was that I started to buy into it. So I'd, I'd see an ad and mm. I go, that's stupid. That's ridiculous. And mm. I see it a second time. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's really. And then the third time I'm like, I really need one of those, <laughs> you know? And I was yeah. just like, I, I don't, I don't need to, uh, to have this. And so I, I, you know, I still watch things on, on Apple TV and that sort of thing, but I think it allows us to to get away from things. And quite frankly, I think, you know, a lot of these magazines, especially online ones, now I don't know all the business models out there, but they're just they're not paying they're not paying their authors. They're not paying contributors. They're saying, hey, can you put your portfolio in and we'll put, you know, it'll be great exposure. And and I just I think if we're not part of the solution, we're part of the problem. And so from the beginning, we sort of said, you know what, we want to we want to pay every contributor. And yeah, it's a little lower than we would like it to be right now, but eventually it'll, it'll get more and we'll be up there with the big boys and and paying for something not out of advertisers dollars, but simply out of the uh, really I mean people pay for the magazine and they get great value and we in turn it's like this big cooperative photographers love in where we all get together and kind of contribute and make something amazing and share in the benefits. So, um I think having advertisements in there just compromises the entire thing. Yeah, absolutely, and and like you like you say the 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 publication itself is quite big, and although I think that that's fine, you you've spot on with the fact that you've got such large images and that in there, it it would bloat it if it was full of um, full of advertisements as well. And I, I don't know, it just it just feels so good to just be able to read through something, article after article, without it being punctuated by by pages full of uh, BS, basically. Good. Well, I'm glad so, you think so. Yeah. So um, you've also got a new. Uh, actually, before we move on from photograph, uh, I I probably would. I mentioned earlier I put a, a quick blog post out with some links yesterday, but we can just before we do move on. Obviously, people can go straight over to craftandvision.com and pick up a a copy. And shall we just talk about the pricing that you've set up? Because in craft and vision, in in the in the usual craft and vision spirit, it's it's very reasonable. So. Should we talk about yeah, that? Yeah, I think so. Each, yeah, each, each copy is $8 uh, US dollars. And um, uh, the, we usually, as Craft & Vision, we almost always, when something's released, we give a discount. And we just, you know, the fact is we just really, we've built this community of really great readers and, and we kind of like to treat them nice, especially the, the loyal ones. And um, so the discount on this is actually, it's a perpetual discount as far as we know, always be offered, but it, it's on the subscription. So if you buy four issues, you get it for the price of three. So it's a, it's $24 a year. Yeah. Which is incredible. As, as uh, Frederick Van Johnson on Twitter always says, it's like the, the price of a coffee. So exactly. for, for one issue, you, you know, you, you can't beat the the craft and vision value and uh, you know the 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 value. I'm, I'm I'm hitting a wall here. This is one of my Japanese things. I can think of what I want to say in Japanese, but you know the the proposition uh, yeah. is uh, is just it's all uh, in good craft and vision spirit. It's it's going to help a lot more people to get become better photographers. So that, that yeah. you can't beat it. Thank you. Well, and next time you hit a wall like that, just go straight into the Japanese because that would be so much cooler. People would be like, I don't know what he said, but it sounded so cool. 
<laughs> yeah, I I'm terrible. I I literally because I I don't speak English as often as I as I used to. Obviously, it's uh, sometimes I just hit these walls and it doesn't come out as fluently as I'd wish. But which is why I like writing because you get time to go and then spit it out later. But yeah, uh, well, most of us are much more intelligent on the written page, aren't we? Absolutely, yeah. You should you should read my book in French, by the way. Within the frame in French yeah. makes me sound crazy intelligent. Really? I once once in a while, while I'm not feeling, you know, I'm I'm kind of in that artist self-loathing funk. I just go and open up uh, one of my books in French, and I read a page, and I think, man, I sound just like like Jean Paul Sartre or something. Very <laughs> very sage sounding. Oh, so well. you know, well, you that's again the same thing with you in Japanese. I mean, I would sacrifice a little bit of information for a little bit more impact. If you just break out in Japanese, I'd be fine with that. <laughs> but you you I mean I've said before that with with things your books like within the frame and that, I I you're very down you write very down to earth but you you've got that sage like appeal in in English as well as French and maybe more so and I, I don't understand French having even having been taught it at school for a few years um about the only thing I know is if you put an, an h after after C in cat, it becomes a shat, and that's about it. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, I, I think you know, you you gave photographers a, a vocabulary again, especially in the digital age, with with the the books that you've written. So I'm, wh whether it's English or French, you, it's always really, really humbling and and inspiring to to read your your books. So. Shall we, oh, shall we? That's kind of you. I, you know, I get a, a quick story. I was, I met uh, someone for coffee recently, and um, I met two people actually, and uh, they were both teachers in in Washington. Mm. And the uh, the gentleman was was about my age, and I'm I'm only forty, Martin. I don't consider myself an old man. I still think of myself as you know young and twenty years old. Mm. And and this woman who actually is the age I still think of myself. She mm. she was gushing about something, and she goes, you know, you're like. You're like the wise old grandfather of photography. I just about died. I thought, you know, lady, back off on the grandfather yeah. talk. I'm I'm 40 years old. I realize biologically I could be there, but come on, you know, you don't say that to someone. Yeah. So I know she meant well, but I just thought, you know, I, I so, know what you mean. I, I, I yeah. I mean, I, I'm only five years older than you, and I, I don't. I still feel as though I'm in my I'm in my twenties. It just doesn't. I I often used to you see um as I was when I was a kid you'd see the the older generation in their their like tweed pants and stuff and and I'd uh, I'd I often wondered if there was an age when you get to there but of course now people in their sixties and seventies and that are all wearing jeans because they were thirty forty years ago and it's like you take your age with you I don't think you I don't think you age the way you think you do when you're younger and. You know, from a twenty-year-old perspective, forties is is middle-aged and maybe even old. But when you're in your forties, you still feel like you're you're twenty-something anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 to that point, I'm going out and buying tweed pants tomorrow because you don't get enough tweed pants these days. <laughs> it's time for tweed pants to have a resurgence. <laughs> well, in that case, I'm I'm going shopping as well. I've got to, I've nice. got to try that. You and uh, you and I can both show up in Hokkaido and tweed. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to jump in here for a moment and bring you that quick message from our sponsor, Squarespace. Squarespace, uh, I'm, I've had a look. I've spent quite a lot of time in their system over this last week uh, and also for a while while I was traveling because we set up this agreement um, a, a couple of weeks back. And I've been incredibly impressed with the new Squarespace 
it's faster and easier than ever before to create high quality websites or blogs or an online portfolio. It's perfect for photographers. It's basically a unified service giving you everything you need to create and maintain a professional looking website. They provide the domain or, you know, they can, you can set up a domain through them. You design, develop, and then you, they host and support the website right there. So it's like a one-stop shop. Professionally designed templates make your website look exceptional. And each template has hundreds of custom, customizable options available to change the grid layout, colors, over 300 fonts and more. It's all drag and drop. So, you know, you basically, you don't have to code anything. Uh, although they do have the ability to drop in little snippets of code and do, and do some customization if you wanted to, you really just don't have to know HTML or any of that. It's basically, you know, you can manage your website, uh, including new page builders, and you just, all of the layout, it's all done right there in the in the browser and enables you to customize pages in seconds. You can add blocks and photos, text, video, social media content, and immediately preview the layer as you go, which makes it really easy to, for anyone really to build a website. It's optimized for mobile devices and it's mobile responsive. So your site automatically restructures and looks great on any size smartphone, tablet, or computer screen. When you add an image, seven different copies of that, different versions of that are created so that the correct size loads for each device. And their iPhone, iPad and Android apps make it easy to update your site on the go. You can review analytics and monitor blog comments as well. You can automatically import, sync and publish to and from social media with a few clicks. And this allows for dynamic refreshing of your site content from your regular postings and raise site awareness among your connections. For example, automatically pull photos from Instagram into your site, uh, instantly sync pages and galleries to Facebook or auto publish new blog entries on Twitter. You can easily add social media buttons and connect with all of the services that you love like Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Instagram, Foursquare, Dropbox, LinkedIn, Pinterest, StumbleUpon and more. Squarespace is built on a cloud architecture for site speed and stability and it uses the latest web technologies HTML5, CSS3, JavaScript, JSON and it's just so responsive and you know it screams along as you use and build your website so you you need to take a look. I was very very impressed and they have a great support team. They'll give you email support and help 24 hours a day, seven days a week, including live online workshops as well. And all you really need to build, host and update your website anytime is all there. So to sign up for a free account, no credit cards needed. Just try it out and start building your website. And if you decide to purchase it, use our code MBP11 for 10% off your first purchase on all new accounts. And that's 10% off the first month or 10% off the first year, whichever is best. You know, and obviously a year is going to save you more money. So go over to squarespace.com MBP and use our offer code MBP11 and give it a try. And it's just, it blew my mind. There's so much that you can do there so very easily. So it's really worth a try. Let's get back to David now though. 
Um, so yeah, on the on the print book, you know, you you are you're just wrapping up on a, on your as you had said earlier, amazingly fifth book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, amazingly, from your perspective, for everyone else, it's like yes, we've got another David book to to read. But um, <laughs> you know, the print and the process. Tell us about that. Well, it started with uh, with one of the Craft and Vision eBooks, actually, uh, actually with a series of them called the Print and the Process, and mm-hmm. and the idea was. Uh, to create sort of a hybrid educational book because we get so many of these books that sort of get thrust at us and many of them very good, including my own. Um, and by that, I mean thrust at us, not necessarily <laughs> the good part. That's up to everyone to decide. But we, we get these books and, and as constraint in terms of the publishing world, you know, you got to cram a certain amount of page, a number, uh, sorry, a certain amount of photographs and words onto a certain amount of pages. And so some of the photographs get shrunk and they become really, they just become illustrations. And I wanted to create something that, that was about the photograph, mm. uh, much like, you know, much like the magazine. Yeah, because ultimately we spent so much time talking about photography and not that much time talking about and looking at and enjoying actual photographs, uh, which boggles my mind, by the way. It's a, it's a very bizarre thing um, and it has the risk of kind of making photography very inbred and losing some of its richness. And so mm. I thought, you know, it'd be really cool to create something that that had that coffee table feel that people could flip through and look at the photographs, um, but then also discuss how I made them, why I made them. The why is very important. Yeah. Um, not just in general, like talking about, for example, I think the first one I did was the Venice project. Um, and so I talked about why I was in Venice, um, what I was trying to accomplish with the project and some sort of broader stuff the gear I used and all of that sort of thing. And then I talk uh, through thumbnails of all of the images that were in the first part of the book, Mm. uh, which is sort of the print section. So the first half of the book is the print um, and the second half is the process. Um, And I talk through thumbnails of all of the images and say, okay, this, you know, here's the EXIF data on these images. Here's how I did this. Here's what I was thinking. And so it's, I think in, instead of saying you should use the rule of thirds, Mm. um, which is another notion I completely reject, but instead of sort of throwing out again these platitudes to say, here's a photograph and here's what I was thinking about. Here's why I, for example, broke some of the conventional so-called rules or why I, why I didn't and, you know, fully embraced the, the rule of thirds or, or whatever. And so, um, I started that series and, and it went quite well. And then I, when I started thinking about doing another print book, I really wanted to do something that was, uh, again, more in, more honoring to the photograph. And I know that sounds artsy fartsy and, you know, poet warrior crap, but I, I really wanted something that, that allowed the photographs to be big and having kind of gained this platform with the publisher and the trust, I put this idea forward and they actually wanted to produce the series of eBooks. And I said, well, I, that's good, but my audience is going to want something new. They, they don't want to get a print, just a print version of something they've bought digitally, mm. even if they've only paid $5 for it. You know, by the time you add it all up, it, it counts for something. And so I started bouncing around the idea, what if, what if in, I edited two of them, but I added two that have never been released, not only never been released, but the photographs really have never been released. So in print process, there's uh, there's four sections. There's my Venice monograph and a discussion of that work, that project. Mm. There's the uh, Iceland project, and then there's two uh, that have never been released. And in in both cases, very few of the images have actually been seen at all. I have, I've intentionally held them back from putting them on my blog wow. uh, and showing them. And so one is uh, a humanitarian project 
for a group called the MoMA Project in northern Kenya. And that's the first uh, full look at my humanitarian work that I've been able to share because so much of what I do is with women, uh, children and families and and vulnerable poor um, in, a, in a way that uh, organizations generally feel very insecure about allowing me to share the, the work with. Yeah. Um, but I approached BOMA Project and we're very close and I support them and I continue to work for them. And I said, look, this is maybe a way to tell your story in a different way and get those images out there. And they were very open to it. And so it's sort of a uh, optional act of gratitude. We're giving 10% of my profits from the book to the BOMA Project because what they do is just so, it's so amazing. It's not a handout. It's it's this pro this process of um, bringing villages and groups of women in villages um, to a place where they, you know, they have their own businesses and, and that sort of thing. So it's a, it's a little bit like microfinance um, along with mentoring. And anyway, they agreed to let me share the photographs, which I was so thrilled with because I'm so proud of that work. When they called me, they said, you know, we really don't want a lot of contrived set up pictures. What we want is portraits of these amazing people that we work with and the land that they live in, which is so beautiful and yet totally inhospitable. Mm. Um, so we traveled up to the edge of the Kaizut Desert, the far north edge of the Kaizut in, in Kenya, and photographed and, and hung out with these nomads for two weeks. And um, it's it was just a terrific project. In fact, I'm going back there this January to photograph again, um, just, just to kind of complete the work because I really, I feel like there's so much more there that these people are so rich visually and they're so kind and wise and funny. Um, and I just, I need to go back. And, um, so anyway, so that's the third part of the book is the BOMA project. So I talk, and that's nice because I think my readers lately have been doing so much landscape stuff. So this will be a look into my work with actual real life human beings. Yeah. And then, then the last is the, uh, um, uh, my Antarctica project from last year. And I'm going back there as well. This, uh, uh, actually next month. And, um, and it's, a, it's a look at, you know, 20, 20 images from the Antarctica project, both sort of the landscapes and the, the penguin portraits and that sort of thing. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So, you, so you're going to, you're going to be in Antarctica next month, you say? Yeah, I'm going right. back. Um, I'm going back on the ocean diamond, uh, with cork expeditions. I'm leading a small, small within the frame photographic tour. Okay, we're going to be down there at the same time. I leave on November oh, 8th, but I doubt we'll, we'll bump into each other. It's not the sort of place you bump into people, but... Um, well, it's yeah. not likely, but when, when, you, uh, when you have a chance and once the podcast is done, send me your particulars on when you're going to be on land in Ushuaia and we'll go for a drink if the dates coincide. Absolutely, that'd be great. So, All right, now back to the regularly scheduled podcast. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's it's amazing, um, like, like with the... How, how do you pronounce that? The Boma project. How, yeah, Boma. That's right, Boma. Yeah. So, I mean, like that. You you've done so much for for like the on your humanitarian side, and I think even within the photography community, you you like. I feel as though with with me as well, you kind of throw throw out these bones to people, and uh, obviously some of the people that you contact don't necessarily need bones, but I certainly feel as though you've you've helped me in so many ways. Um, and you touched on it earlier about, you know, giving giving people not necessarily, uh, you know, famous photographers uh, a platform. And how important is that to you? You know, you the, the humanitarian work you've done and giving the 10 percent of print, the print and the process to the BOMA project. How, how does how important is that to you in, in your in your life and in your photography? It's you know, I don't think I, I don't think I'm overstating it by saying it's everything. It's. 
I think, you know, I, I mean, I'm always on about vision this and vision that. And I think people, you know, I, I have, I have people jokingly call, you know, at home, good friends mocking to me, me to my face by calling me Dr. Vision. And, um, and I think it's, it's great, but the, the core of that is that the photographs we take are, are, should be, uh, I hope an honest extension of who we are and our vision includes all of that stuff. And I think the kind of photographs you make come out of the person that you are. Mm. Um, and you know, our photographs are only going to last so long. Mm. They, even if we print them on archival paper, even if we, you know, do, take all these precautions, the fact is, you know, 300 years from now, if the earth is still spinning, yeah. Who's really, you know, I mean, frankly, there will be other photographers, better photographers, people that are photographing the here and the now, um, and, and those will be the important voices. And I, I so I look at this stuff as, as legacy, you know, make, making a difference right here, right now. And I love building. For me, this is about creativity. And I, I tell people in workshops that I do about about business end of things, you know, the vision mongers stuff mm. that, uh, that building a business should be an act of creativity as much as making a photograph. Mm. And I think it's, it's, for me, it's even beyond that in the sense that I want to intentionally live my life in a way that I am, I am creating. And if that means being a part or a collaborator with everyone else and building a book, a magazine, um, a community, um, whatever it is. I, I, and it's all, it's, you know, I mean, I'd love to say it's totally altruistic, but the fact is I just take this in the best possible way. I just get off on it. Mm. I just love being part of things. I'm building something new and looking at, back at it and saying, wow, I was a part of that, you know, mm. and, and I made some kind of difference and I want that from my life. And, and I think most of us do in some way. The problem is I think we very often get, we get sidetracked by little things and, and by, by the daily distractions. And so, you know, the we talked briefly before the interview about, you know, this kind of year that you and I both had last year and and my accident and your diagnosis and, and the struggle to recover from those. I think those things, not to not to sort of romanticize it, but they do give perspective in a new way. And mm. and whereas I was a little bit intolerable before about this whole life is short, you know, live intentionally, mm. I think I've, I've become uh, almost militant about it, at least for my own self, the idea of living intentionally. And I, it extends to the way that we treat others. It extends to our generosity. If you just give the money that's left over, you'll never give. If you just give the time that's left over, you'll never uh, give of your time. And it's the same with your photography. If you just, you know, put whatever effort you've got left over, um, it will reflect that. And mm. admittedly, we all have busy lives and I understand that. But if we can intentionally put time aside, if we can intentionally pursue our craft and set personal projects and do things, you know, that will at the end of a year with actual goals. Now, not everyone works this way, but I like to say at the end of this month, I will create this. At the end of today, I will have done this mm. and to to make sure that it happens i think it allows you to prioritize and eh, blah 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 it's um yes to answer your question it is important to me yeah absolutely <laughs> well it comes across and i mean that that's all important stuff in uh, in about the time as well and people have asked me many times how i make the or how i am able to do the things that i do all of the stuff that i'm into and it's it's like you don't none of this comes easy you have to make the time to do everything that you that you want to do and i know that my my second article for photograph i wrote it in a hotel room in toronto the day before i did my workshop there 
And it, it you you can't obviously I I would have much preferred to have gone out and photographed around Toronto, but you just have to sit and you know knuckle down and and make the time to do things. And I I often uh, I often quote the 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 book you know whether you love them or hate them those little thin books that that you can the the coaching style things. I remember reading Eat That Frog, and that, <laughs> have you ever have you ever heard about that? No. It, it's like I forget. Doesn't sound like it's vegetarian. No, let me tell you what. Let me just while I'm, while I'm talking, I'm gonna. Um, I'm going to find out the the author because it's uh, it's actually quite a good analogy in that the let me see here we go it's uh, it's written by uh, well it's eat that frog twenty one great ways to stop procrastinating and get more done in less time and it's written by Brian Tracy okay uh, and so this I read this years ago and this was more before I gave up my old day job just to 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 really maximize my time um but what brian tracy goes into here is that you imagine you you walk into the office or you get up in the morning and every day you start your your working day you've got this big fat ugly frog sitting on your desk and you've got to eat it before you finish <laughs> and what what people tend to do is they'll get into the office and they'll see the frog sitting there you know it croaks at them occasionally but you you procrastinate you do stuff that to, to pretend that you're busy to give you a, a kind of a reason to not eat the frog, and you know you'll you'll reach over and you'll grab the fried chicken and you'll and you'll sit there and you'll go through your email and then you'll 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 look across the frog still croaking at you, and you know over the day you you do all of this stuff that really is just excuses to not eat the frog, and the analogy here of course is that that frog is the biggest nastiest task that you've got to do, and you. It, what what you would do is if you walk straight in, pick up that frog and gulp it down, then you don't procrastinate because you, you've got it out of the way. You've got your big nasty task out of the way and you feel great about yourself. You've Then you don't invent jobs and things that are going to make you feel as though you're busy. And a lot of the time, you know, you get to the end of the day and you think, well, you know, I've worked really hard today. The frog's still there, but I'm just going to go home and I'll eat that tomorrow. And then you come in the next day and, of course, you've got two frogs on your desk. So mm. you, you basically get get rid of the big tasks and they don't have to be necessarily be nasty. It's just things that are important to you. If you do that first, then you, you find that you don't procrastinate. You actually end up looking for the next frog and mm. you, you'll eat tomorrow's frog and the next day's frog on the first day. And before you know it, you're ahead of yourself and you just, you're making time to do stuff. Um, and I, I find that, you know, that like you were just saying, you, you, you don't, None of it's free. You have to make time to do stuff that's important to you. And I think that part of the part of the the biggest thing here is um, evaluating what you want to do and prioritizing things. And like I, I often use that 80-20 analogy thing as well, where like 20% of what you do will be responsible for 80% of your success and all of that. Mm -hmm. So you cut out the other 80% or, or do that really, really quickly to get it out of the way. And put put a lot of time into the other twenty percent, and then prioritizing in that way will generally help you to to do the things that really will make a difference. And and that can be either financially or you know from from just just feeling as though you've done something good for either yourself, for your family, for the for your immediate community, or even for the world. You know, the the more you the more you do, and the more you put out there. If it's if it's stuff that resonates with people, then it generally will 
will help you to be more successful. And I think that it's all it's all about priorities and and doing just getting knuckling down and doing stuff. Mm. Yeah, it's true. I, I think it's Scott Belsky who wrote a, um, some some stuff about you know getting things done. And he talked to you this one turn of phrase that I loved. He basically said. Um, that he tried to live a life, his, his wording was a life that is strongly biased towards action. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, when you can, because especially with creative endeavors, Martin, I think, you know, you and I both know not everything works. Mm-hmm. You you throw stuff at the wall, see what sticks. A lot of the stuff we throw at the wall doesn't stick. Yeah. And and if, if we spend a lot of time kind of deliberating and being paralyzed by our choices, we have less time to throw stuff at the wall right. and 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 just sort of get through the junk to get to the really good stuff and and I think the the it's about making choices isn't it it's about ultimately it's about saying I'm going to do this I'm not going to do that and and uh, by far and away the the biggest criticism I have is that people that say to me oh I, sh- I wish I could get as much done as you mm. um, when I look at how much they're on Facebook or mm. how many times a day they've twittered and admittedly that may not have been a lot of time it may only have been you know 30 sh- very short Twitter breaks, mm. but those short Twitter breaks break up yeah. your productive time. And and everyone in terms of creativity sort of has a ramp up time mm. and a time that they can be truly creative and then a ramp down time. And if you're constantly doing things like Twitter in time that you should be just dedicating to creative endeavors or something that you're trying to get done, mm. you, you're constantly losing the benefit of that ramp up time. And and so, for example, like if I've got 15 minutes, mm. um, I, I it's useless to me. If mm. I can put a, I mean, I'll get a lot of little stuff done and that's when I'll do my Twittering and that's when I'll do, you know, a, a little errand here or whatever. But if, if I've got an hour, then I can actually work on stuff. So I jealously protect that hour and mm. I make sure that within that hour that I'm, my email program is off, my cell phone is set to silent and I just get my work done because the moment that's broken and I just go, oh, I'll just go check my email. Well, checking your email doesn't take a minute, but then suddenly you've got an email that, oh, I actually have to respond to this one. Yeah. And then suddenly you're down this rabbit hole and you then you look at your watch and go, oh, now I've only got, you know, 30 minutes to, to get this done. Well, now I don't have the time, the ramp up time yeah. and I don't have the time to be truly creative. And so again, it's, I think it's making choices. And and one of the best books I ever read, despite sort of the, some of the hype and the, you know, the kind of, I, I don't know. I don't know that Tim Ferriss and I would get along too well, although it seems, seems interesting, if nothing else, is mm-hmm. uh, his book, The what's it called? The four hour work week. And he he talks about batching tasks. Mm -hmm. So do your email first thing in the morning, set half an hour aside for it and then leave it until the end of the day. And in that big bulk of time in the middle of the day, do the big stuff. And it's the same with Twittering. Set a block of time aside. The world will continue to spin if you don't get on Twitter every five minutes. Um, But it's such a procrastination. You know, it's um, Stephen Pressfield would call it resistance, you Mm. know, and it stops us from getting our art done and and from being the people. And then at the end of the day, we're just, you know, like you said, you got that frog sitting there and you feel worse about yourself. And then the next day you're just starting with not momentum, but, you know, the opposite. It's like you're sluggish. And Mm. so anyway, we're a long way off topic. But I think for creative people, you know, I I continually encourage my students that, that, if you're going to make something, creativity is not coming up with ideas. Creative, creativity is is getting that idea out into the world. And you're not creative until you pick up the camera and make the photograph or yeah. write the book or whatever that thing is. You've got to actually do it. Just coming up with ideas is the easy stuff. It's actually doing it that takes the work. Yeah, absolutely. The, I mean, the, to a lot of people, the, you know, you can talk yourself into the fact that, you know, 
doing the social media stuff is is part of your job and in, in a lot of ways it is but it can be paralyzing like you say and that little pop-up when an email comes in is terrible i always just as you said just totally close down anything that could that could interrupt me while i'm trying to do a big task because they, they'll just steal your attention and it can be difficult to get back into that but the, the problem is is that like, like we were saying with, with eat the eat that frog if if you believe that those things like doing email and all of that is the main body of your of your work or your business day whether it's whether you're a photographer or you're you know in another profession if you believe that that stuff is your job then you'll allow that to to continue to take your attention so that by the end of the day you haven't ate your frog but you you believe you've done a good day's work so you'll go home feeling half happy about that but it, it never goes away you've got to knuckle down and do the stuff so it's all yeah. it's all very relevant. Yeah, it really is. And I, I think ultimately, I think, you know, where we forget that social media has its place is, that, you know, hopefully you're sharing parts of your life. And if social media is your life, the only thing you're doing is is engaging in this constant retweeting of what's going on. And soon it just becomes, forgive the term, but just this big social media wank and no one's actually sharing anything of any interest. And so go out and live your life, create something amazing. The, the cycle of creativity is about create and share, create and share. Yeah. And if if all you're doing is sharing, I question what are you creating other than just noise? Absolutely, absolutely. So let's, uh, you know, we, we've we've talked there about the print and the process. I can't wait to read this again. It's it, I, I love your books and I, and it's going to be, it's one of those that I'm, uh, as usual, I'm going to be really looking forward to. Um, but let's move on and talk a little little about next year. We're, we're going to be in Hokkaido together. You, you uh, graciously are going to, jump on a plane and, and come over and join us for the for the 12 days that we're going to be photographing the snow monkeys and then Hokkaido so uh, you know let's talk a little bit about that mm -hmm. yeah I'm I'm so excited I can't wait I went out and bought my big puffy winter jacket I, I'm a Canadian but I live on the west coast and you know we we get more rain than anything so I'm very excited about about coming to Hokkaido and spending some time in the snow yeah it's going to be great we uh we have uh you know, like I say, three days initially with the, where we, we drive about three hours uh, northwest of Tokyo to go and photograph the, the snow monkeys. Um, but we, you know, we, we stay in like traditional Japanese inns or yokan for a lot of the time. And these, these are, you know, the one that we stay in where the snow monkeys is really traditional. It's, it's a couple of hundred years old and um, all of the staff wear kimonos and traditional dress and stuff. So you get a you're kind of a, a double bonus you know you've got the not only the amazing winter wildlife but you get to um really experience the traditional side of japan at the same time so it, it i think you're gonna you're gonna enjoy it can't wait so we uh you know after that of course we, we go up to hokkaido we've got the lots of wildlife and i'm i'm really looking forward to seeing what the, how you uh photograph these places because obviously we, we all have our own angle on on the you know the, we we've i've had People join us in the past that just shoot things totally different to how I I obviously do and and to how I've I've seen before, and it's always really refreshing. You know the group and you you obviously you know this you do, you do you do your workshops and and take people on your uh, photography adventures. But so I'm I'm talking more for the benefit of the listeners here. But uh, you know the, it's always amazing to me how much you grow by just being in a group of other creative people rather than you know it's it's never about 
me and my photography. It's always about the group. And I, I always just love looking at what other people create. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the sort of work that you, you create while you're out there as well. Well, you know what? That, that It's funny you say that. The I think the biggest takeaway I get from the trips that I lead is standing beside another photographer in yep. literally the same place with our tripods. I would swear point at the same thing. And we come out with photographs that are so different. I literally go... Uh, where were you when you when you made that photograph? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I I was clearly somewhere else, and they said, "Well, no, you were actually exactly right beside me." And then they'll look at mine and go, "Okay, but but how did you? What I did?" Because you know we 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 see things so differently. I, I hope you know. I think I think there's certainly a tendency to you know, like for example, I'm just coming to Hokkaido to completely replicate your work. Um, but other than that, <laughs> I think you know it's it's really it's fascinating for me. And you're right. I think uh, as much as creative people are very often lone rangers. I think uh, if you're open to a spirit of collaboration, if you don't compare yourself with other people and, and can just sort of look at other people's work without threat, I think there's so much to learn there, not for the purpose of going back and shooting what they shot, but for for going back then and saying, okay, how can I approach approach this from a different angle? How can I be a little bit more, you know, kind of oblique in my in my perspective here and and learning from from other people? And so, you know, once, once a year, I, I try to go out and do something that that pushes me and you know for me to come and do a workshop with you and you know I think it's important people people understand I mean I am coming to this because I want to learn from you and um and I think you have a lot to teach I think we all have a lot to teach each other and where we I think where we go wrong again not to be a you know a critic of popular photography education but we set people up on such a pedestal and when I do workshops, I'm always learning from my students, always. I mean, someone will come with an ability. I mean, in fact, some of my students have become craft and vision authors. You know, yeah. Pete Vandenind came on one of my workshops in uh, in Italy, uh, sorry, Italy, with uh, with Matt Brandon in India. And I learned so much from this guy. By the time we were done, I was like, you got to do an ebook for us. Mm -hmm. And he's now, you know, he's done, now done, you know, I don't know, three or four ebooks for us. He's, he's um, just a fantastic, fantastic educator. Mm. And, I, and I, as much as he may have learned something from me, I kind of sort of sit at his feet on occasion and learn from him. And I think we need to keep that. I, need to, I think when you, not to get too zen about this, but when you continually embrace the sort of the, the learner's posture mm. instead of the posture of the master mm. or so-called, because I think anyone that's truly a master of something is in fact still very much a learner. Um, but that's, I think that's when you create your best work. That's when you enjoy yourself the most and that's when you learn the most. And so I'm, I'm totally excited to come to, to this trip and spend time in Hokkaido because frankly, I don't have any idea what to expect, except I I've been told that you're going to make all your students put their cameras on manual and, and learn to do it right. So, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really excited about that. I'm excited about the constraints of having someone else who's excellent at their craft saying, try it this way, not because your approach is better than someone else's, but because it's yours and it works for you. And I think we can all learn from each other. So I'm totally excited. I can't wait. Yeah. I'm, well, that, it's going to be amazing. Um, and I'm humbled to, to hear you say that, but I, I'm totally on in tune with you as well. I, I always learn so much from my students as, as well. So it's going to be great. Um, well, now, now tell me to, to, you know, not to turn the tables here, but um, you did plenty of plugging for me uh, earlier. And we've been talking about this, uh, this workshop for a while, but um, I've got, you know, I've got a, f a few people in my audience. Um, do you still have room on the uh, the Hokkaido workshop for uh, for others if they want to join? I understand at one point you had some cancellations. 
Yeah, we actually we had a couple of cancellations uh, just last week, but uh, we've got one of them is now full uh, filled, and we've got one space left. Okay, um, but we're at the point where you know the it's it's the pay the balance part, and we usually get a couple of people drop out around now. Uh, we just have, and it's you know, obviously it's for personal reasons and unavoidable, and the people that have had to cancel are cut up about it, um, but. There, yeah, we do have one place open, but I, I always keep a cancellation list as well. And the time that we, we start to rely on that is about now. So um, probably by the time this airs, uh, there'll be a there'll still be one place free. It'll probably go relatively quickly. And but if you if you just take a look at mbpworkshops.com and click on the Snow Monkeys and Hokkaido workshop, and there's links on there to either pay if the if the uh, the, the space is still free. Or you can drop me a line and I'll put you on the cancellation list and fit you in as soon as we get uh, anyone else drop out if that happens. But yeah, nice. it's, uh, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you'll get to spend time with obviously David as well as myself. And it's, it's just one of those experiences that most people walk away from uh, feeling enriched and, and even changed to a degree because we're getting to some pretty wild stuff out there. Well, I, I can't wait. I, and, and, you know, as a bonus, we all get to hear you speak Japanese, which I think is super cool. <laughs> yeah, I get to do that a lot when we're here. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It just it, it actually feels more natural to me than English most of the time. So it's, uh, it, I, I never mind talking and being heard speaking in Japanese, being, being heard speak, uh, to speak in Japanese because it's, it's actually more natural to me. So, um, David, that, thanks so much. We've, we've been talking almost an hour now, and uh, I, I really appreciate your time. And I, I'd like, you know, once again, congratulate you on Photograph and, you. and on the print and the process. And, you know, the best of luck for, for the rest of the stuff that you jump into. Because not that you need it, because, you know, we all need a bit of luck. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's just great to see the stuff that you're doing and the, the photography industry. Not not just me, but the photography industry would like to thank you, I'm sure. Well, I'm grateful and I'll take all the luck I can get. I do some pretty stupid things, so we can all use we, <laughs> we can all, all use it, right? We just, all do. just just promise me you're gonna my readers will thank you if you keep me away from any walls yeah. or precipices or cliffs or yeah. anything while, while we're there together. Absolutely. I uh, Fantastic. I'm I'm very uh, you know, we, we do some pretty wacky stuff, but as long as you listen to me, um, then generally we can keep you out of harm. Good. Well, I've had some bad experiences with monkeys, so uh, so you just you know, just so you know, I'm I'm bringing my tripod with the, the intention of using it if I have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, where, where we go, they they're actually really they're used to people being around them. We literally stand feet just a few feet from them. Um, but I had one guy on our workshop last year, and I just told the team like the three golden rules of shooting the monkeys. One is. Uh, don't eat around them. If you get a snack bar out of your pocket, you'll you'll literally be attacked. Um, <laughs> so no no eating around them. And if you want to look at them for a long time, don't stare in their eyes. Look through your lens because they're used to that. And uh. the other thing is don't touch them what, no matter what. And I had one guy last year that walked straight down there, and, and the, the moment he got next to him, he reached out and touched the alpha male, and it almost took his head off. Oh, so, my gosh. Um, needless to say, I was not happy. Um, you know, just like I say, you have to listen to me, but as long as you take my advice, uh, and, and I usually give a bit of advice when it's necessary, uh, then everyone remains safe and happy. Well, so, like I said, I've, I've had some bad experiences, so you won't have to remind me twice to, to keep an arm's length. Yeah. Where, where were they? What, what did you, what happened? 
Um, I, the, the one was years ago. I spent, uh, after high school, I spent a summer on the Amazon and, and, uh, around the time it, it was kind of trendy to wear spider monkeys on your head in, uh, in, um, little town I was in called Iquitos, uh, in Peru. It was, um, Actually, it wasn't that little. It was it was a city, mm. and people were walking around with these spider monkeys on their heads. You know, it's like <laughs> pets, and it was bizarre. You'd be speaking to someone, and you'd look up and suddenly see these little tiny monkeys staring at at you from <laughs> you know from their hair. Mm. And uh, and so this guy was trying to sell me a monkey, and he put it back in the day. I had hair, and he put this monkey in my hair, and you know, I was like, yeah, oh, that's pretty cool. And but the novelty wore off very quickly, and I was trying to convince him that no, I, I couldn't possibly take this monkey home with me, and mm. there would be problems with customers. And he's going on with, you know, oh, no problemo, no problemo. And, and I'm trying to communicate, no, status unidos, uh, customs, big problemo. And he's like, no, no problem. And he takes the monkey, sticks it in his jacket. And I'm like, yeah, no one's going to see that coming at Miami airport. You right. know, a guy walks through with a monkey in his shirt. Um, <laughs> In the meantime, he sticks the monkey back on my head and I'm kind of going, you know, okay, we're done here. And I keep saying, no, I don't want the monkey. And the price is dropping dramatically the more I say, I don't mm. want this monkey. Mm. I felt bad for the monkey. You know, he's sitting there listening to these negotiations. He's like, <laughs> come on, not even $10. <laughs> and finally I got sick of it and I reached up and picked the monkey up. And and uh, for the record, they, they, they don't like that. And uh, this monkey bit me. Mm. And, you know, I'm, I'm on the Amazon in this, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And, and I just, I freaked out. And fortunately, he didn't break the skin, but it took me a little, little bit to, you know, kind of come to my senses and see if he'd, if he'd broken the skin. And mm. so, you know, I had, you know, Dustin Hoffman in a yellow outbreak, uh, you know, uh, you know, those, uh, hazmat suits in my mind and going, oh, they're going to, they're going to quarantine me like ET. <laughs> and this is, this is the beginning. I probably got Ebola now. Mm. So that, that was one. And the other was a story I'll tell you in Japan that happened in, uh, in India where I, I nearly, nearly got, uh, kidnapped by a, a troop of monkeys um, and and in running away from them nearly nearly met my end on the front end of a, a Delhi city bus so Ooh. it was uh, yeah it was I'm not sure which I would rather take my chances with a horde of monkeys or a Delhi city bus but mm. it's it, needless to say it's uh, monkeys now are sort of we there we keep our distance from each other mm. Yeah, well, the ones that we'll be photographing in Japan, are, they really are used to people that they, they live in a place where there's people every day of the year. Um, so it, it's we've we've not we've never had any problems, but it, and, unless you do something that I say don't like, reach out All and right. touch them. So you'll be fine, and uh, and they really are just amazing animals. So uh, well, yeah. I want you to promise me one thing. If if I do something stupid, which, you know, it, it happens occasionally. Mm. I'm an artist. What can I say? Um, I just want you to make sure that uh, while they are rescuing me or even moments before they are rescuing me, just get some great shots. That's all I ask. <laughs> just because what doesn't kill you gives you something to blog about. And if I can put a photograph of me getting attacked by snow monkeys on the blog, that's got to be good for a few readers, you know. That's the, the <laughs> subscribers will go up. Yeah, unfortunately, no one would come to my tours in, in the future. So, uh, I obviously I'd get the photos, but it's not going to happen. Bringing, anyway. You keep bringing me along and promising me that I'll, I will get mauled by monkeys at least once on the trip, and I guarantee they'll be sold out. <laughs> Just saying, there's more than one one way to approach this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, really, it's been it's been a pleasure Thanks. talking to you today, David. And uh, yeah, I I I really am looking forward to if we don't if we don't get the hookup down in Ushuaia, then we'll uh, we'll certainly be together in uh, in Japan next February. So the dates, by the way, are February the 18th to March 1st. That's the they're the dates that we're actually on the trip. So if you've got a a couple of days either side of that as well. 
uh, just take a look at the website and and see if you can't join us in Hokkaido and, and Japan with the snow monkeys. Fantastic. So, can't wait. Yep. Thank you very much, David. And、uh, I'll speak to you again very soon. My pleasure. Take care, Martin. You too. That was a lot of fun, and I hope you enjoyed it. I, as I said, I'm going to try to put out one more episode before I leave for Antarctica. But please don't don't unsubscribe from the podcast. I am coming back, and I'm committed to 50 episodes a year. So I, I look forward to getting back with you. If if not, sometime later later next week,、um, in the new year from January onwards. But really, thanks so much for listening today. Remember that you can find me on Google Plus and Twitter, and links to everything that I'm up to are on the top page at martinbaileyphotography.com. So do drop by and take a look. I'll be back next week with another episode. But in the meantime, you take care and have a great week, whatever you're doing. Bye bye. <laughs>